In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem and the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favors rest. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. After a careful investigation of all these events, this is how the first century historian named Luke would introduce the person who would change humanity's destiny, Jesus. But not just any Jesus, because there were several people in history that have been named Jesus, or as in the Hebrew language, he was called Yeshua or Joshua. See, this was Luke described Jesus from Nazareth, a small good-for-nothing town tucked away in lower Galilee. Connecting Jesus to Nazareth was intentional. It, It could have been Luke's intention to identify that this was the Jesus, the Jesus that was from Nazareth because there were no other Jesuses in Nazareth. Or Luke's intention could have been to tie Jesus to the prophecies that referred to the Messiah as the Netzer, 
which is, in Hebrew, the term used for branch or shoot. This word, netzer, would sound much like Nazareth in the Hebrew language. And to the Hebrew people, this would tie them together. The Hebrew prophet Isaiah would record words about this netzer, this branch. And in chapter 11 of verse 1, Isaiah would write this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he would write, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch, a netzer will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice. He will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They were neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. You know, it's no wonder why Luke would identify Jesus in this way, describing that he is from Nazareth to tie Jesus to the prophecy that we just read where God establishes peace through the Messiah, where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord and the knowledge of God because of the Messiah. And because of the Messiah, all nations will rally to this netzer, this branch. That day will be a glorious day. Luke then using the angel's words to introduce Jesus the Messiah to the world, he would describe this most glorious day at this time this, that no one understood in that day. No one understood, could comprehend the meaning of what was happened on that evening. Only heaven knew the significance of what was going on in the universe. God was breaking through humanity's brokenness. In this moment in time, millennia that has been filled with death, pain, and war, all caused by humanity's rejection of God, which would become the curse of sin for all of humanity. A curse that would leave humanity on this endless hunt, this ever eternal pursuit to find fulfillment in this search for significance or what some ancients would eventually call or some would call joy. The pursuit of this 
search and this hunt would cause humanity to become selfish. And the end result would be a world that is broken and filled with the pain because of our relationship with God has been broken. At this moment in time, Luke records how heaven breaks out and he captures with his ink the angel's announcement. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The shepherds had no clue the significance of what they heard. Good news. Let me ask you this. Is this what you need to hear tonight? Is this what you need to hear this Christmas Eve? Good news. Is your Christmas filled with brokenness? Is the circumstances around your holiday, is, it, is this the need and all the reason for you to hear good news? The angels came and brought good news that would cause great joy. You know why people want to hear good news? You know why at least I want to hear good news? Because we all want great joy. Not just the feel-good momentary emotion that we get after, you know, we hear something great or we experience something that, that is enjoyable and all of a sudden our brain releases that hit of dopamine and we just feel it overwhelms all the pain and the circumstance of life. It's deeper than that. We want something beyond that, a deep happiness that is a great joy. You know, in Scripture, happiness and joy are interchangeably used. There's no differentiation between the two. It's only in modern times that we've differentiated between happiness and joy. And we say in today's age that happiness is circumstantial. Joy goes beyond the circumstance. But in Scripture, and especially just as we read in the angel's, angel's announcement, joy is circumstantial. The angel's announcement proves this. It's the good news that will cause, which will be the circumstance for great joy. Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Great joy for all. Let me ask you, do you think that you are excluded from that all? Now, Casey, you don't know, understand the circumstance I've been, you don't understand what the past two years have been like for me. And you're right, I don't. You may think, Casey, this, is, this, this, this great joy is not for me. It's for someone else. This, is, this, this only works for those, uh, the, the other types of people, the things where, where circumstances are a little better for them. Let me ask you this. Do you put your hope in a different set of algorithms for your happiness or your joy? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, what is your algorithm for happiness? What is it? Uh, what is the process or set of rules that must be followed in order to make you happy? Maybe you don't know what an algorithm is. Well, here is a simple algorithm. A recipe for baking a cake is a simple algorithm. Now, my wife makes one of the most incredible cakes. She's incredible. In fact, she has ruined me for other people's cakes. 
Another pe- and business is cake. And one of the things she makes incredibly is a cheesecake. However, yet last night, that turned very, very uh, different in our world as a burst, a burst of steam came out of that and burned her hand. But I got good news. The cheesecake survived. <laughs> and this Christmas Eve, we will be enjoying cheesecake at a very costly price with a second-degree burn on her hand. <laughs> yeah. But I love her recipe for cheesecake. She's incredible at this. And she's got this algorithm, this recipe for this. And, and one of her chocolate cakes, her chocolate cake is what I request for my birthday. And I try to convince my kids to request it for their birthday. Because I love that recipe. It's an algorithm. And, and actually, speaking of this, my son, it's kind of funny because I love my wife's cheesecake. And my son actually likes the algorithm of Harbor Light's cheesecake a little better than he likes my wife's cheesecake. It's just that he likes their recipe a little better. Now, what is your algorithm? What's your recipe, the process for your happiness? Is it simple or is it like Google search engines or the social media search engine, all to put the things in front of you that you want and it's complex? Does your happiness recipe or your algorithm for joy start like, I will be happy when... Win this, win that, win they, win he, win she. Is it, is it, I will, be, or I will be happy if, if this, if that, if he, if she, if they. See, more often our happiness algorithm is made up of wins and ifs, isn't it? Like, I, I won't be happy until this happens. See, when we get a bigger house and uh, when my boss will respect and acknowledge all the hard work I put in, when I lose this holiday weight, if my spouse would just recognize, if I get this promotion or I get the job. See, our happiness is likely dependent on elements that are outside of our control. See, you can't, uh, you, can't, you can't control what others, and ha- what others do to you, how they treat you. You can't control what happens to you. And in a way, we're saying that our happiness is dependent on our ability to control others. Well, good luck with that, having your in-laws in town. We love our in-laws. See, When we do this, we're saying that our happiness and our joy is based on an algorithm filled with wins and ifs. So what determines your happiness? Or can I ask you this question? What do you want to determine your happiness? Do you want your happiness to to be determined in a complex algorithm filled with wins and ifs? Does, does your joy have to be contingent on a practical impossibility occurring? See, the story of Christmas is more than a story. It's good news. And not like the modern news where you can't trust if it's fact or fiction. This is something that Luke would say, I've carefully investigated. This is not just news to know. This is good news for the world to know. 
This is good news for a world searching to have great joy. This is good news that will cause great joy for those who desperately need it. See, the Christmas algorithm for happiness is not all about what's, ifs, and wins and thens. It's about a who. God, who came into our brokenness to live with us, to suffer and die for us, to resurrect back to life so he could give life to us, he is our cause for great joy. Jesus, our salvation is our great joy. Jesus is the cause of my great joy, regardless of my circumstance, regardless of anything I go through. He, what he did, he is the one circumstance in my life and in your life that outweighs any other if or when. See, when I receive Jesus, I receive a greater cause and a reason, a greater reason for joy that outweighs the pain, that outlasts the hardship, that endures through the sickness. It is my strength in the middle of my grief and my sorrow. Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection are my hope for what lies ahead tomorrow. See, the way Luke would introduce Jesus is so important. It's important for you and for me in a world full of pain and brokenness. And way, the way that Luke would introduce Jesus in his writing is very intentional. In fact, every author would think about strategically how do they begin their writing. And Luke would. And just as intentional would be how Luke ends his writing in his gospel account of the story and the gospel of Jesus. And I want to read to you how Luke ends his account of Jesus. After Jesus would suffer, after he would die, and after he would resurrect back to life, Jesus would be with his disciples. And in this moment, Luke describes this, the last words. He leaves you and I in his gospel writing. When Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, them being the disciples. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Did you catch that? It's the message he wants you to know. They returned with great joy. This is what the announcement that the angels made was that we bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And the disciples had every reason to not have great joy until Jesus came back to life because their hope had been shattered. The person they believed in had died, but now he was alive. And they had a reason for great 
joy. They received Jesus and they received great joy. So I want to ask you again, this Christmas, what's your algorithm for your happiness? What's the circumstantial things that have to align for you to have great joy? See, great joy is not found in ifs and wins. Great joy is found in who you worship. And here's a Christmas big idea I want to leave you with today. I want to encourage you with the story and the meaning of Christmas that came, that Jesus came to bring you great joy, to be the cause of your great joy. See, great joy is found when we Worship Jesus. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Sometimes the simplest truths are the life-transforming ones. We just have to receive it, believe it. And when we receive Jesus as our Savior, and we trust in him and follow him as our Lord, we receive great joy. See, only a great God can bring you great joy. And in this eternal hunt, and, and you, can, you can hunt and you can search for your significance, your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your joy, your happiness, and you can go to relationships, you can go to achievement, you can go to, to all these different other things to find your joy. You can look for the wins and ifs and make an algorithm that's so complex, but impossible. But Jesus came to do what is only possible for you to cause you great joy. See, you're going to keep hunting for joy and happiness until you receive Jesus and simply turn to him and worship him. God came to bring great joy. That great joy is found when we worship Jesus and we receive this great joy when we find Jesus fixing our eyes on him because he is our salvation. Because Christ was born, you can receive great joy in the middle of your brokenness. See, joy is not the absence of sorrow. And we've often, we, 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 we feel like, we, we, we communicate this often too, that in order to have joy, you can't be sad. In order to have joy, it, 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 you can't have sorrow. And like sorrow is this lack of faith. However, sadness, grief, sorrow are actually opportunities to anchor our faith in the joy of our salvation and the promise that we have. See, in your sadness and your sorrow and your grief and your loss, this is the opportunity for your faith to put its anchor in something that outweighs any if or when. See, joy is what sustains us through our sorrow and our brokenness. Joy sustains us when we fix our eyes on Jesus, the joy of our salvation. So this Christmas, 
I encourage you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Receive him, worship him, and let his joy sustain you through your sorrow, through your pain. Let his joy sustain you. Let it be your joy regardless of what you face tomorrow. That is why he came, to cause great joy for all, including you. Tonight we're going to have a special moment where we are going to receive a light on the candle that we were given when we walked in. And the reason I say this like this is we're not going to light our candle. We're actually going to receive this light. It's so indicative of what we do with Christ, our joy. We receive him. And when we receive him, we receive joy. And as you receive this light tonight, I want you to think about what this candle and what receiving the light to your candle means for you. Maybe receiving this light will represent that you are going to worship Jesus in a difficult season that you're in. This means that I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to be the one circumstance in my life. What Christ has done for me is going to be the one circumstance that outweighs anything I've experienced recently. And I'm going to let that be my joy. Even in the middle of my heartbreak, even in the middle of my hardship, even in the middle of my sorrow, I'm going to receive him. Maybe this is what this light means for you. Maybe receiving this light for others is a representation that you're coming back to God. Maybe you've turned to so many other paths and so many other ifs and wins. You've been hunting for joy and significance that it's led you to pursue certain things or certain relationships. And you're, you've set your path maybe on a career. And in doing this, You've just journeyed farther and farther away from God because you were searching for everything but him to fulfill you, sustain you, and to be your joy and happiness. And tonight, receiving this light is just indicative that between you and God, you're coming back to him. And you can just say, God, I'm coming back to you. I receive Jesus as my joy. He is the cause of my great joy. I receive him as my Savior and I follow him as my Lord. And then for some, maybe receiving this light tonight is a commitment to let your testimony of what Christ has done for you through his life, his death, and his resurrection, to let that testimony be a light to those in your world who need to experience great joy. But it's only going to be through your testimony, through your story of how God has brought you great joy, that your faith and your joy can be a light for someone else who needs joy in a broken world. Now, I want to tell you something that those who will be lighting your candle tonight, there's some incredible people they have each gone through a difficult season, a hardship. They've come face to face with the broken reality of life. 
their brokenness. They've had to endure this season. Some are grieving the loss of a loved one. Others have suffered hardship in other different ways. But through it all, their testimony to us of receiving great joy as we fix our eyes on Jesus. So as you receive this light, as they will go down the aisles to light the ends of the rows, I want you to know what their story is. And this can be your story because it's incircumstantial. It, it, it goes beyond your other circumstance because joy is on one circumstance that God entered our brokenness to cause my great joy. And so I'm going to ask you to stand right now. I'm going to ask our candle lighters to come. And as they come, I'm going to release them to go ahead and light their candles and go down the aisle. And as we sing, will you receive your light?